my dad was always has always been a man of his word. If he says he is going to do something, you can pretty well bank on the fact he is going to do it. Now, as a kid, uh, this was true for the, the good things, which was always encouraging, but it was also true for what we might call the, the not-so-good things, the bad things. If Dad said something or else, you could be sure the or else would come to pass if we didn't do what Dad said to do. One example, Dad had, we, we had a wood fireplace, and so we always had a big pile of wood Dad cut, and me and my brother were supposed to split it. And each of us had a certain amount. We were supposed to split every week until the whole pile was split and stacked. And my brother had done his part. I had not done my part. I didn't particularly enjoy splitting wood. Uh, and so one day during this, it was during this time of the year, there was no school. Dad had said, you've got a certain amount of wood to split today or else. right? And, and the or else was because I had not done anything. And Dad came home at the same time. My dad was like clockwork. He got he went to, he left the house at the same time. He came back at the same time. I mean, you could you could set your clock by the time my dad did things. So he came home at four every day. Got off at three thirty. He got home around four. Uh, at about three twenty, I had sat at the house, had not done anything, had sat and watched TV, uh, piddled around. About three twenty, I decided I'd meander out and get the splitting mall and split some wood. Uh, sure enough, four o'clock, Dad comes home. First thing he does is walk around to see if I had split all the wood I had split. Uh, but I had not because it was nowhere possible for me to split that amount of wood in ten minute, in the 40 minutes I had spent out there doing it. And I found out, once again, Dad was a man of his word. That it didn't do to hope for the best by not doing what Dad said would do. And, and I think... The way I often acted toward my dad is the way many people today act towards God. We expect God will keep his word in all of the good things. But all of the things that are encouraging, all of the things that make us feel good, all of the ones that help us in the hard times, God had better do those. We expect that. We can even get downright indignant if he doesn't answer those things or do those things in the way we think he ought to do it, in the time we think it ought to be done. But when it comes to the the sort of negative promises of God, we hope for the best many times. Uh, Many times you'll find people who, they again, they will talk about the good promises and the expectations, but if you point out the inconsistencies in their own lives, And how they are sowing to the flesh and according to the Bible, they will then reap something from that. Well, again, they get unhappy. They will get agitated and accuse you of being any number of not nice things for trying to say they're going to incur any sort of negative consequences for their life. But God has made promises and God keeps his promises. And what we're going to see today is God keeps his promises, even the negative ones, what we would call the negative promises. If God has said something, God will do it. And if God has said judgment is coming, then judgment is coming. So open your Bible to Revelation chapter 8, verse 7 is where we're going to start at today. No, verse 6, we'll go to verse 6. Uh, Page 953, if you've got a pew Bible, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read all of the rest of 8 and all of 9. And the seven angels 
who had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded. And there was hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up. And all of the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded. Something like a great mountain burning with fire was hurled into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life in them died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded. And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of waters. And the star is named Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the waters because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it in the night in the same way. Then I looked and heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe! Woe! Woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven and fall into the earth. And the key of the shaft of the abyss was given to him. And he opened the shaft of the abyss and smoke ascended out of the shaft of the, like a smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened from the smoke of the shaft. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and the power was given to them, as scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a person. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death will flee from them. The appearance of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. And their faces were like human faces. And they had hair like the hair of a woman. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots, many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings in their tails is it is their power to hurt people for five months. They have a king over them as the angel of the abyss and his name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, his name is Apollyon. The first woe was past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in my vision the horses and those who sat upon them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of brimstone and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. And a third of the mankind was killed by these three plagues, and fought by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents, and have heads with them, and they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. So as not to worship demons, the idols of gold, silver, brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their witchcraft, nor of their sexual immorality. 
nor of their thefts. The title of the message today is When Judgment Falls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we need to be a people who know you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And Lord, we need to find encouragement from the fact you're going to keep your word and all of the great and precious promises you have given us in your word about what you do in us and through us and for us. But God, we cannot then turn to the promises of judgment and say, well, that's not going to come to pass because it makes us uncomfortable or because it puts maybe a responsibility upon us to go and talk to people about Jesus and the salvation He offers. Father, let us be a, a people who trust You. You are who You say You are. You will do what You say You will do no matter what that may be. Father, for those of us in here today who are disciples of Jesus, as we look at this, Father, let it weigh on our hearts and on our minds. Let it weigh on us as the sure and certain future. Bring to our minds people we know, people we love, who have not repented of their sins and have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And this judgment is coming for them. Let that truth weigh on our hearts. Let that truth bother us and steal our sleep. Let that truth cause us to go and have hard conversations with them. We must have so they can come to know Christ as their Savior. Father, if there's people here today that have never repented of their sins, have not believed in Jesus, they are not disciples of Christ, let this passage weigh on their hearts in a different way. Let them see this as their future, for it is. Let them understand your judgment is coming and it's coming for them. And Father, save them so they would not be like the people at the end of chapter 9 who refuse to repent. Soften their hearts. Cause them to cry out like Isaiah, Woe is me, for I'm undone. And let them cry out to you for salvation, for forgiveness. They might be saved from the judgment to come. Use this time today to strengthen us and encourage us. Enable us to do your will, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. At just the reading of this, you see that everything we're going to look at today is fairly intense. The angels have been given their trumpets. They sound the trumpets and judgments begin to fall. They, the trumpet, Each trumpet unleashes a, a terrifying series of judgments on the earth and upon the people of the earth. These judgments are broke up into two categories. Uh, there would be disasters on the earth itself and then devastation upon humanity. Now to me, as I look at this, the key is verse 4, the key verse. And that those who, who come to kill, they do not kill those who have the seal of God on their foreheads. We saw in chapter 7, the everlasting gospel saves people till the end of time. Those who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus are sealed with the Holy Spirit and the judgment does not come upon them. And so the reality of this chapter, it's only disciples of Jesus are spared from the judgment of God. Right? This is truly a, 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 an important point for us to get, something we will see over and over throughout the book of Revelation. We'll see it when we get to the end of the book and the, the great white throne of judgment is there. Those whose names are written in the book of life 
they are spared from that judgment. Those who aren't are cast into the lake of fire. Disciples of Jesus and only disciples of Jesus are spared from the judgment of God. Now with this thought, there are three truths about the certainty of God's judgment we, we must know from this chapter. First is, trusting in created things is foolish. If you were here last week, uh, we, we learned in Romans 1, 23-25, one of the reasons God sends judgment on the earth is because people exchange the truth of God for a lie. They, they stopped worshipping the Creator God and they began to worship creation. A, a creation of their own mind, something they come up with. Right, And so what we see in these first few trumpet judgments is God revealing the foolishness of this decision. Right, God is demonstrating His absolute sovereignty over all created things. And His demonstration that, that created things cannot save. That what people exchange the truth of God for cannot save them from the judgment of God. Verse 7, the first trumpet sounds. Hell and fire mixed with blood hurled to the earth. A third of the earth is burned up. A third of the trees are burned up. And all of the green grass is burned up. Now, I, personally, I, I wish I had a better imagination, but I can't really read and imagine. But I would like to imagine how, how devastating this must be. I mean, this, this trumpet judgment brings... Hell and fire mixed with blood falling upon the earth and, and burning really one third of the earth up and all of the green grass. So we've seen the plains fires that, that happen out here and the devastation of, of what's left in just a, a section of the panhandle or a section of the world. Imagine this covering the whole earth. All of earth will look like the leftover remnant. Of a plains fire that we've seen. The second trumpet. Verse 8 and 9. A great mountain. Burning with fire is hurled to the sea. The third of the sea becomes blood. A third of the sea creatures. Which were in the sea and have life. Died. A third of the ships. Were destroyed. Now something like a, a great mountain. Burning. Falling into the sea. Could be a couple of different things. Could be like a meteor. Falling from the sky. And splashing into the sea. It could be a volcano erupting and a significant portion of it being tossed into the sea. But what's causing it isn't the, isn't really what matters so much. It's the devastation it brings. Right? It hurls into the sea and a third of the sea becomes blood. Now I think the reason a third of the sea becomes blood is because a third of the creatures that are in the sea are killed. Right? And then it crashes into the sea. It kills all of these creatures. It causes tidal waves as it would fall in which overturns a third of the ships which are in the sea. And so it, it devastates the, the sea. And, and with this, the, the idea of the ships, for us, what we should see with this is the trade routes. Right? There were no semi-trucks or choo-choo trains hauling stuff across land. There were no planes flying things. The massive trade route was over the sea. And so this picture is not only a devastation of the sea and the water and the creatures that are in it, but also of the trade routes which are being destroyed. This will be devastating at that time. Then the third angel sounds in verse 10 and 11. And a great star falls from heaven, this time specifically from heaven, burning like a torch. 
falls on a third of the rivers and the springs of waters. The star is named Wormwood. And a third of the waters become Wormwood because many people died from the waters because they were made bitter. Now, Wormwood in the Bible often spoke of God's judgment, often spoke of things that were poisonous. So what happens is something from the sky does fall into the fresh water and poisons a third of it. Now, it doesn't say that the animals, a third of the animals die in the water, but I think it's a safe conclusion. A third of the animals in the sea died when something fell in it, and then the waters are becoming poisonous to drink. So poisonous, in fact, people who drink it die. Well, what happens What happens to animals who live in the water when the water becomes so poisonous that the people who drink it die? Well, they die as well. Now, with this being the, the fresh water becoming bitter, what we have to realize is there's going to be a shortage of clean drinking water. Not only in places where there's already a shortage of clean drinking water, but a shortage of clean drinking water in places where there is plenty. Because it will be one third of all of the fresh water over the entire earth will be poisoned. Imagine the devastation this brings. Fourth angel sounds. And a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars are struck so that the third of them would be darkened. And the day would not shine for a third of the day and the night would not shine for a third of the night. This leads to total darkness during this time. Very similar to what happens in Egypt when God blots out the sun and brings darkness upon the land. It's complete darkness for a third of the day. Complete darkness for a third of the night. And this happens... Because the angel, the, or the angels, the stars go out. A third of the sun and a third of the moon goes out and refuses to shine. One of my commentaries said this would affect the growing seasons, the weather patterns, plant life, temperatures on the earth, as well as the physical and emotional health of all humanity. All in all, it's all pretty bad. All of these judgments are meant to demonstrate God's sovereignty over all of His creation. All the created things people trust in will be proven to be weak. The foolish things people have exchanged the worship of God for will be proven to be nothing. Nothing. Less than nothing. Helpless. It it will be proven that it was a foolish decision. Now think about all the things people trust in today. Imagine if you could... The devastation this is bringing. Where are people going to look for help? Where are people going to look for hope? Well, they're going to look to science, right? They're going to to look to science to find out why is this happening? What can science do to stop it? Well, people now, they trust in science over the Bible. Right? They, they say, well, the Bible can't be right because of this and because of that. And, and yet what's going to happen is science will have no answers. Science can't explain what's going to happen. Science can't stop what's going to happen. Science won't be able to undo what the judgments of God do. It will be shown to be futile and worthless as something worth trusting in. Political parties... Right? People look to politics. They look to their party to, to fix the problem, to stop what's going on. And yet, 
when the trumpets sound, Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Whigs and Independents and everyone else will be shown to be weak and futile and unable to do anything. There will be no political party caucus that will get together and solve a single thing about this or make anyone's life better. Or governments. People turn to governments. The government to fix the problem. The government to make it better. And yet, it is governments who are being overthrown by this. Governments have no control. They can't undo. They can't fix. They can't change. They can't help. Wealth and stuff. How many people in our day trust far more in their wealth and their stuff than they do God? And yet, think about this. When one third of the fresh water is made bitter, how valuable will your money be? What would you rather have in a time when there is one third of the water is poisonous? Would you rather have water or a million dollars in cash? We'd rather have water because that million dollars in cash isn't going to do anything but heat you for a little while over a fire and then it's gone. All the wealth and stuff people look to, all the wealth and stuff people trust in, is going to be shown to be weak and ineffective against delivering and helping in times of great need. Taken together, these judgments reveal those who live only for this life, who trust in things of this world, have chosen foolishly. God and God alone is sovereign. And we must turn to Him, for in Him and Him alone do we find life and salvation. The certainty and the severity of God's judgment shows the utter foolishness of trusting in created things. Secondly, individuals face God's judgment. Verse 13, it says, And then I looked and heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Whoa! Woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet and the three angels who are about to sound. Now, what he's saying is what happened before was bad, but it's about to get worse. As bad as everything we've just seen was, there's worse that's coming. Now, it's interesting that it says the, the eagle was flying in mid-heaven, crying out. The picture is of humanity being able to see And hear this messenger of God. And I think it's safe to say this is a call for humanity to turn to God. This is a call for humanity to see the devastation. To recognize the the weakness and the futility of created things. And to say, oh my gosh, it's going to get worse. God save me. God have mercy. God forgive me for my sins. This is an, an act of the mercy of God crying out for people to turn. And we see this sort of picture all throughout. Well, after the angel... The, the eagle cries out, the fifth angel sounds. It says a star falls from heaven and comes to the earth and opens the shaft of the abyss. He has a key. Now, I've always, up until I studied this week, I thought that was a, I don't think it's a star, obviously, because it has a key and it opens a shaft, not something stars can do. I think it refers to an angel. Uh, up until this week, I had thought it referred to a fallen angel. Because of what it does, it opens the abyss and allows these bad things to come out. But when we get to Revelation 20, we're going to find this same sort of angel tossing Satan 
into the abyss and he has the key and lock it. So I, I think this is not this is not an, a demon opening the pit. This is an angel of God opening the pit. He releases the demons who are trapped in them. You know, the Bible says that some demons are bound in prison for now. And on this day, they're released and they're let go. And as the shaft is opened, smoke ascends out of it like the smoke of a great furnace. The sun and the air are darkened from the smoke of the shaft. I think it pictures smoke so thick and so dark you cannot see through it. And as the smoke rises, demons come out like locusts. It calls them locusts, but again, I don't think it's actual locusts. Um, many times in the Bible when it wants to speak of things that swarm, it speaks of locusts. And so I think this is speaking of a large number of demons being released upon the earth to have their way and do in large part what they will. They're, they come out, power is given to them as the power of scorpions. They're told not to hurt the grass or the earth or those who have the seal of God. Basically, they're only attacking people. And they're only attacking those who don't have the seal of God. They're not allowed to kill anyone in verse 5, but just torment for five months. And their torment is like the torment of a scorpion when it stings. Verse 7, the, the appearance like horses prepared for battle. Their head appears to be crowns of gold. Faces are like human faces. Hair like the hair of women. Teeth like the teeth of lions. They have breastplates of iron. When they move out, it's the sound of chariots and horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions. And the sting in their tails is in the power to hurt people for five months. And they have a king. And his name in the Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek is Apollyon. And I think the king being who he is, I think this is a reference to Satan as the king of the demons. So if there are demons now, I mean, we know some demons roam the earth, but some are in bonds and they're all released at this point. What kind of terror are they going to unleash upon the world? Imagine a scenario in which every prison on earth suddenly opened and every murderer, rapist, serial killer and psychopath is allowed to go free. Imagine the, the chaos and the damage just humans would do in that. Now imagine that same sort of thing, but they're not merely humans, they're angelic in power, powerful beings who have given themselves over to be evil and to do evil. This is a picture of an innumerable host of demons being released to do anything they want to do short of kill people and harm the people of God. They're allowed to cause chaos and pain and agony and torment and do whatever suffering they want so long as they do not kill the people. Now, with this, again, they're not allowed to, to harm those who have the seal of God. Why? Why are they being released to harm humanity but not those who have the seal of God? 
Well, humanity has consistently rejected God. Humanity has consistently suppressed the truth about God and has chosen to worship and serve anything and everything other than God. And so, in essence, what God is doing is allowing people to have what they've always wanted. He's allowing them to have life without His hand of protection upon them. He is allowing them to know the true nature of the objects they have given themselves to, the false gods they have chosen to worship. They have chosen to worship idols of gold and silver and brass. They have chosen to give themselves to to false ideologies and false religions. And behind all of that sort of worship of those things, there is, according to the Apostle Paul, a demonic power. But the demonic power is being held in check by God at this point, not allowed to do everything it wants to do upon humanity. And at this day, God says, you don't want me to protect you. You don't want my salvation. Then have your gods and let them have their way with you. And so they come to steal, to kill, not to kill, to steal, to destroy, to torment. However, God is sovereign. And God is merciful. God in His sovereignty does not permit them to kill. They can torment, but they cannot kill. The reason for this is because God is giving them a chance to repent. The demons desire, the next ones that are going to be released are going to kill. These are not allowed to kill. Why? So that as these false gods they worship begin to torment them, the people will say, we need Jesus. And they will turn to Him. This is an act of the sovereignty of God. You do not rule, I do. And the mercy of God. Recognize the true source of your religion and your devotion. And turn to Me. From the description here, it seems the torment comes from the sting of their tail. Verse 3, 5, and 10. It talks about having the, the sting like a scorpion. It goes on for five months. I've heard two explanations uh, about the torment lasting for five months. One is that it just, for five months, the demons just torment everybody however they want for the five months. Another is that they will literally have a stinger and they will sting and the sting will torment for five months. Either is plausible. Now, verse 6 is to me maybe the, I don't know, awful part in this chapter. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death will flee from them. Things are going to be so bad at this point that people will want to die and death flees from them. One of my commentaries said the the phrase flee or they, they long to die. It could almost be translated as they lust after death. And it pictures them almost demanding they be allowed to commit suicide. They be allowed to die. And yet death flees from them. They will not die. They cannot die in this time. Think about the change from our day to this day. In, in our day, people flee from death and yet it still finds them. And in this day, people will long for death, lust to die. And yet death flees from them. The torments will be so bad they will want to die but they cannot. Verse 13 through 19 another angel sounds. 
And a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, says to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released so they would kill a third of the man, a third of mankind. And they have an army, two millions, and it describes them and it talks about the way that they kill people. Uh, fire and brimstone come out of their mouth and the tails like serpents. And so it seems that what they do is there's fire and brimstone that kills people. There's the, set, the serpent bites from their tails which kill people. I, I believe these are not, again, these are not good angels. I believe these are but demons who are for now imprisoned in a particular place until a particular time in which God releases them. And at this point, these demons are free to roam and kill one-third of humanity. Uh, I mean, just... Again, can you imagine? Now, I'll say I don't know for sure if these are going to be visible. Right? Is it going to be visible demons who look like this that assault and attack? Possible. It, it sure is possible. Is it going to be just invisible forces that make life miserable? Also in, entirely possible. But what we see is just the, the misery of this. And, and there are four truths we need to understand from this particular section. First, individual people face the judgment of God because they choose to worship something other than God. This is where it gets really particular. I mean, it's one thing for the earth to be judged, for the sun to be blacked out, for the moon to be blacked out, for the waters and the animals to be poisoned and to die. But here, people, individual people, face this judgment. They face the torment and then eventually, if they do not repent, the death. Individuals. So, we often say God judges sin. It's true. But make no mistake, adultery is not going to be suffered this torment. The adulterer is. Fornication isn't going to suffer this torment. The fornicator is. Idolatry isn't going to suffer these judgments. The idolater is. Do you see the difference in that? Individuals face the judgment of God because they have chosen to worship and serve something other than God. Secondly, part of this judgment will come in the form of being tormented and destroyed by what they worship. Again, if we believe the Bible then behind every non-Christian religion and spirituality and all things like that, there is a demonic force, a doctrine of demons, which is not out for anyone's good or their benefit or to make their lives better or to help in any way. This, this is what they're waiting for. What our world worships, what our world is devoted to, the, the big power behind things that are not God, that the people of earth are serving and giving themselves to, are not good in any way. They are waiting for this day and this time so they can torment the people who worship them, the people who serve them, the people who choose them over God. Thirdly, God's mercy limits the judgment for a time so people can repent. For the first part, it was torment, which is bad. I'm not going to undermine that. It's bad, but there's no death. 
As long as someone is alive, the opportunity is there for them to repent and believe. And that is an act of the sovereign mercy of God. But that time comes to an end. And a third of them were then killed by what they worshipped. And those who died were killed by the demons. There was no more mercy. There was no more opportunity for salvation. There was the sure and certain eternal judgment of hell waiting for them. And fourth, only disciples of Jesus are saved from this judgment. The seal of God on their lives protected them. Much like the blood over the doorposts in Exodus protected the, the Israelites when the, the slayer of the firstborn went through the, the city. The only hope in being spared from this is in Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. Trusting in created things is foolish. Individuals face God's judgment. And then finally, people choose to suffer judgment. Now, this is going to sound contrary to reality. This is what it is. Every person who suffered this judgment chose this judgment. They chose to suffer this. They chose to suffer this by choosing something other than God. By choosing something other than Jesus, they chose this. And then those who didn't repent when the, when the demons came and tormented, they chose the next part. And then what comes after this happens only because people choose it. Because you would think people are going to turn to God. Oh, my goodness. They're going to recognize this is the judgment of God, the just judgment of God, which they do in later chapters. And they're going to turn and cry out. But but notice what it says instead in verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. In verse 21. And they did not repent. Even in the midst of this, they are refusing to repent and they are choosing further judgment. Now, their list of sins is given and I'll cover them quickly. There's occultism. Uh, it mentions worship of demons. Uh, it mentions worship of idols. It mentions witchcraft. Well, I'll just talk. Uh, and so there's occultism is one of the sins of the end times that people choose. There is idolatry. And the idolatry, it says gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood. Normally, I, I would use idolatry and talk about it referring to putting something ahead of God. Uh, but in this case, I really think it means literal idolatry. We, we know in Revelation 13 that the, there's going to be an image of the beast created and people are told by the false prophet to actually worship this image that is created. And so, given the way idolatry was in the Old Testament and the connection here, Gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood would refer to the wealth of the person, basically. A wealthy person can have an image of the beast that is made of gold. Slightly less wealthy can have one of silver, brass, stone, until those who are poor will only have a, a wooden one. But either way, it refers to actual idolatry. They, they worship and serve 
something they created. Murders, we understand the idea uh, of murder, sexual immorality. We understand sexual immorality. We know from later chapters the, the kingdom of the beast, Babylon, is kind of given to excess. That is one of the characteristics of it is excess in all things, an excess of wealth, an excess of pleasure and sexual immorality. So they are in the midst of this. Judgment is falling. They're giving themselves over to it. The whole world is involved in it and everybody's happy with it. And yet they're refusing to repent and then thefts. Now, here are the things we have to realize. While these sins are going to be rampant during this tribulation period, they're also very common now. Witchcraft and occultism is very much on the rise. Pretty much everywhere in the world, particularly in America, where people are bored and have all kinds of time. Idolatry of our day isn't so much actually creating an idol that we worship, but it is putting something ahead of God and devoting ourselves to it rather than to Christ. Um, murder. Our, we live in a, a violent culture. There is violence and murder in our culture all the time. There are millions of legal abortions performed every day. In our country, sexual immorality is everywhere and and largely accepted, even within the church, unfortunately. The reality is the sins of the tribulation period are the sins of now. The, the, The world is not different as far as that goes. The key here isn't the sins that the people are committed to. The key is their response to the sins. And that is their refusal to Repent, so they might be saved from the judgment of God. That, that's what's key in this, these two verses. The sins are just sins of every age. The point John is making in this vision is they did not repent of their sins. They did not turn from their sins and turn to God. But the reality is this response is nothing new either. Jesus warned us about it. He said, the one who believes in him is not judged. They're sealed. They're saved. But the one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. People reject Jesus and all he offers for a variety of reasons they may give. But one primary reason is overall. They love their sin more than they love the Savior. They love darkness rather than light. And the reality is anyone who has even a nominal understanding of the Bible will understand that you cannot be a disciple of Jesus and live in sin at the same time. If if the gospel is true and Jesus died for sin, how can those who are saved by the one who died live and take pleasure in this sin? Years ago, I was sharing my the gospel with a an atheist friend, and he said, "I'm not a Christian, but I know if you believe it, you have to live it." He had no faith in God, in Jesus, or in God's word, but it made good sense to him. That if you believe in the Jesus who died for sin, you can't live in the sin that sent Jesus to the cross. You have to choose one or the other. And so the reality is 
People who reject Jesus primarily do so because they love their sin more than they love Jesus. They know if they come to Jesus, they will have to give up their sin. Someone is involved in an adulterous affair and Jesus begins to press upon them. They know. If I come to Jesus, I can't continue in my adulterous relationship. I have to break that off. And so they have a choice to make. Will they choose Jesus or will they choose the affair? And and it's not just with adultery. It could be any sin. It could be a sexual sin. It could be a a religion sin, choosing a a religion that's not based upon Jesus. It, It all comes down to the same thing. That is the ultimate choice. What is preeminent and most important, my sin or the Savior? And so people make their choice based upon what's most important, what they love the most. They receive or reject Jesus based upon what they love the most. If they love Jesus, they come to Jesus and reject their sin. If they love their sin, they hold to their sin and they reject Jesus. Jesus. Now, salvation is, is open to all. Whosoever will can come. But a choice has to be made. To come to Jesus requires us to repent of our sin, take up our cross, and begin to follow Him. And those who choose their sin, they choose judgment. I mean, and, and, I mean it is just that simple. Those who reject Jesus to hold on to their sin, they are choosing judgment for themselves. So if if you or I are here today and we have not chosen Jesus, and the Spirit is pressing upon us and we know there's my sin and there's Jesus and I have to leave one and grab the other, and I choose my sin, then if you do that, if that's your choice, if that's my choice, then let's make it knowing and honest, I'm choosing my sin and the judgment it brings. And I, as an individual, I will face this judgment. I mean, let's just be honest about what we're doing by the choices we make. Everyone in these two chapters who has faced these terrible judgments has done so because they chose it. When we get to Revelation 21 or 20 and their names are not found in the book of life and they're cast in the lake of fire, that was their choice. When the bold judgments are poured out later, that is their choice. When people receive the mark of the beast and they are eternally damned and they're cast in the lake of fire where the smoke of their torments rise forever and ever, that is their choice. Salvation is open to whosoever will. And we can be marked and sealed by the Spirit of God living within us or we can choose the judgment that is to come. And ultimately, it is our choice. 
It is your choice. It is my choice. More could be said. More probably should be said. But the bottom line is this. God's judgment is terrifying. And God's judgment is coming. And it is coming for every single individual who has not repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes not for the innocent. It comes for those who choose this judgment for themselves by rejecting the Savior and choosing their sin. This morning, what is your choice? What is your choice? If up till now you have chosen your sin over Jesus, I urge you with all that is within me, flee from the judgment to come and grab hold of Jesus this morning. Let's pray.